Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. I didn't sing along this time. I know! Well, you know, it's tougher with Zoom and everything, and if I'm queuing it up, then you're going to have a delay. But hey, listen, if you are listening to this at the time that it drops, have you called your mom yet? Have you? Call your mom. Have you? It's about Call time you do that. Yeah, you probably should pause. Here's the thing. Pause. We'll wait. Ryan and I are here. You can pause and you can call your mom right now. If you hopefully you I mean, and that's obviously we want to be we want to be uh, mindful of those who might not have their their moms may have passed away or maybe they have a strained relationship with your mom. Um, and unfortunately, one of the things that uh, we don't do on the uh, movie show with Joel and Ryan is we don't patch up relationships between parents and children. It's, you know, it's just a thing. We had to draw a line somewhere. Yeah. And, and, and while Although we perhaps your love of the movie show with Joel and Ryan can be the bridge that brings you back together. That is um, an incredible point. I think that is... It's worth uh, yeah, checking so, out to see if that's mm-hmm. a possibility. So if your mom doesn't listen to the movie show with Joel and Ryan, maybe you uh, somehow through back channels, you can get her listening to it. Or maybe just describing your love of the movie show with Joel and Ryan will make your mom go, mm, I wish that uh, that they loved me like that. This is kind of a bleak opening. Yeah, this guy, I'm not proud of this bleak opening. It's what happens when I don't sing along with the intro. It just yeah. everything just runs off the rails. Yeah, we're kind of yeah we're kind we're kind of starting off the rails, and we're gonna we're gonna see if we can hop back on and judder back onto the rails throughout hey, the. You've all seen us lose our dignity on the show before. This is nothing new. <laughs> That's true. It's okay. That's it's all good. true. It's all um, good. Uh, so all right, so we have yes, we have a wonderful. I I think you know we're gonna um. We're going, we, we missed you. Obviously we've been gone for a couple of weeks. We took, uh, um, it was one of the high holy, uh, weeks in the Ryan Harris, uh, <laughs> schedule calendar. Um, uh, so we took, uh, we took a week off. Uh, and so, um, hopefully that whetted your appetite. First week off of the year, unless you count those three weeks at the beginning of the year that we took off. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. Once it, yeah, we, we're, you know, we try to do. We did uh, whatever it was, we, fourteen or fifteen of them straight there without yeah. breaks. So. Yeah, this is uh, what this is fifteen. This was fifteen straight that we've done, um, and and you know, so we and we have some fun stuff coming up. Oh yeah, uh, we'll tease. I think we can tease this because we have those dates, dates scheduled coming sure. up at the end. The last two, uh, the last two episodes in May, we are going to uh, visit. One of our favorite, uh, one of our favorite mini series and slash movies series mm-hmm. of um, of all time, uh, the fantastic V, 
Uh, and v, v and V the final battle. Final battle, dives yeah. At and the end of um, May. yes, we will. What happened to my pen? I just so, dropped it. Oh man, this see everything is just gone. This is just what is happening with the world. Oh my pen. Okay, well. Um. All right, and of course, uh, good. How are friend you going to do this podcast without a pen? Yeah, I know. There we go. It fell. On, oh yes. Thank you, feet. I don't even. Right. I don't have a pen. What are you writing well, down? What are you taking notes on over there? This man? is no. The, I this is my uh, Apple Pen, so I can because everything's on my iPad, so it allows me to check things off and scroll through and click on my links and stuff. To what do they call that? Things. Computer pens. Styluses. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. I just um, wanted to hear you say that you dropped your stylus. I dropped my stylus, but now the stylus is back where it belongs. Where now the, the stylus doesn't want to register on screen because of the awesome background. Anyway, but yes, we will be joined by a good friend of the show, uh, Michael Klug. Um, for those of you, if, if those of you, I have um, such viv. I mean, I love the miniseries, but one of my favorite memories I had is I think you had in college on your computer that you had in your dorm room. You had a game, I think, or something that used the V theme That's as right. background music. It was it just was, like a arcade game or a pong game or something, but it, yeah. it it stole the the technically the final battle theme, the Barry yeah, Devorzon theme. We'll talk and, about the multiple composers involved in V and their different approaches, but but I just remember loving that so much. Like I, I that just, was always my favorite I, for sure. And uh, so, yeah, so V, V uh, deep dive coming up. That is going to be really fun. Um, and then, you know, yeah. And then we, we were, as we were talking about V uh, we were also talking, we can tease that uh, in sometime in probably June of 2021, maybe July of 2021 here, uh, we will finally get around to the alien saga and we are going to get into that. So that's just a little tease of some of the things coming up. Yeah. Um, but uh but first so let's and of course um, if you have any ideas you know don't hold back yes yes we you know yeah we are always looking our buddy bill gave us a good idea for a show but we have to we still have to do some thought on it but it is very cool idea so i'm trying to remember which one that was because that was on the yeah i hate to say it because if it if i don't yeah we don't pull it off then i'll be all ashamed it'll be yeah it was a good i remember it was a good idea it's a a rocking idea but it it's just mm-hmm. it. It's kind of something we talk about all the time. So we'll have to see if it, there's mm-hmm. enough left for an actual show. Mm-hmm. But here's a, pre- here's we, the point is, can... not so much that Bill's idea was good, which it is. The point is, he had an idea that he shared with us. Thank mm-hmm. you for that. Yes, and and we yeah, and we we're not listen. we're not Star Trek Discovery. If you send us your story ideas, we we are allowed to read them actually. So we so that you can sue us if we copy them later. <laughs> like it's gets very complicated out there in the world of fan fiction. But the beauty of the podcast is that we can just st- steal your idea, especially if we sure. have proof of you telling us you want us to do it. Um, here's here's um, something that will do not send your alternate Harry Potter timelines and stuff to J.K. Rowling, though. Right That's... and. And all Joel and Ryan fan fiction that inc- that includes us. I'm not sure I'm going to read that. No, this just... wasn't an invitation for that. Show ideas, folks. Oh. Send them on in. Yeah, show ideas, not stories about um, the two of us. Uh, unless it's the two of us, like, saving saving the world. I, I, maybe I'd read that. 
Um, but uh, yeah, well, here's a question uh, that would tie into an idea that Ryan and I noodled around for a while, but uh, a, a while ago, I should say. But um, I would love to hear if there were any locations from films that you would like to visit. Um, you you know, so it, is there a is there a planet? Is there a city? Is there? Oh, made-up locations. Um, or, well, I mean, frankly, they could be real locations, uh, um, but is it, a, you know, we would have to do a little work, but it's for an idea. That I'd like to visit Angkor Wat, it, but I don't want to talk about Laura Croft to, to talk about it, so I'm not okay. sure that that helps. Well, here's the thing. Is there's going to be so many um, Let's do our locations. best to stick to made-up locations. That'll make All right, so is there a made-up location? Or if you're not sure, um, that's cool. Just get it out there. But yeah, we would love to hear it, and we have a fun idea that we're noodling around. I'm, and this is like the third time I've said noodling around, um, so I think I should stop saying that. I'd like to see the Great Wall of China, but I don't want to talk about uh, the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor or whatever that piece of crap sequel was. Well, you could talk, but would you want to talk about it um, if we talked about? Uh, the Great Wall, the Matt Damon film. No. Okay. See? I, that is the correct answer, but uh, I just... <laughs> I Woo! I got just one right. I, just nice. thought I'd throw that out there. I mean, I, I know we're not going to talk about the mummy. No, nah, but there's more pop quizzes coming. I'm glad I got it off to a good start. <laughs> That's true. Just a couple. And then we're... Yeah, we're... Okay. So anyway, we... Um, so we're, we're going to talk... Um, we're going to, of course, uh, because it is Mother's Day weekend... We are going to do a little tribute to uh, to moms later. Um, not evil moms. We are we we uh, kind of avoiding evil moms. So yeah. if that's what you're into, sorry. Yeah. So um, uh, yeah. So we are not. Um, but we have a so. But we have a tribute to moms. Moms that that are awesome. Moms that are very can that seem very real. But we're going to get to that later. Uh, first, let's since it's been a couple weeks. Uh, let, I want to hear about uh, some of the films that you've been watching. What have you been watching lately? Well, just playing catch up a little bit with the stuff we talked about before our break. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, our the past two shows were our salute to 70s, which we pretty much, I don't think 100%, but virtually all of them were pre-Star Wars movies, basically. Yeah, yeah. Not pre-Jaws so much, but definitely pre-star wars where there was a big paradigm shift but of course the whole the in a kind of a great way in some ways the 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 style continued on after that you know what i mean it was like mm -hmm. but that that just i think that that those films made people realize first they had you had to get through the folly of everybody releasing every crappy low budget space movie that they had in the vaults you know, but once they got over that, you really did see a change, and it was a generational change, I think, amongst filmmakers too. But I've just been watching a bunch of stuff, you know, from kind of the late seventies and early eighties that we can talk about a few of them now because I don't know that they would come up otherwise. And a couple right. of them, a couple of them are duds that you got to like a real specific kind of thing to even enjoy. But a couple of them are fantastic. A couple movies. of them are, yeah. A couple of these are are really really good. Yeah, one of them. One of them is one of my. It's one of, for a long time. I would have considered it one of my favorite movies. But we'll, Ooh, well, you'll have to tell me up. what that is. Mm -hmm. First mm -hmm. one I watched was it was supposed to be, the first in a big series of 
Alistair MacLean novels adapted for the screen. It ended up being the first in a series of one. <laughs> this this dude bought all the rights to all these novels, and this was the first one they tried to uh, uh, release, I think in 79, called Bear Island. And there's a really... And I've seen Bear Island before, like in the Saturday afternoon kind of movie. Mm-hmm. But I, there's a... Uh, it's just a DVD too, which sort of blew my mind from the UK that I bought um, and brought home just like, Oh, I'd like to have that. And who knows, who knows when a high def version of that's ever going to come or I don't know why Amazon would stream that or anything. Maybe somebody is streaming it these days. You never know. But the, the, the point is I like Alistair McLean. I like guns in Navarone and I like mm-hmm. uh, ice station zebra. And I like all those sort of quasi military adventures. He's sort of like the, you know, with the Tom Clancy of his day, basically. Yeah. yeah. Th- those are the sorts of stories we're talking about. They're, they're high tech for what they are for 68 or whatever, but they're, they're, I like those sort of movies. So, I really like Ice Station Zebra with Rock Hudson. That's a fun film that had sort of a sad story. That movie was going to be MGM's big movie for the year, but then 2001 came out and was in all the Cinerama theaters and stuff. And then after a few months, they're like, okay, now here's Ice Station Zebra. And it was a relative hit. Like, it wasn't a bomb, but it was only about a month later where the hippies all were like, bring back 2001. So it was one of those cases where... They they got rid of a movie, brought one new one in, and then got and then brought the old one back, which used yeah. to happen all the time when there were a limited amount of theaters. So I don't know what I'm talking about. Bear Island, Alistair McLean. They, there's a, a scientific research vessel off the up off the coast going on this exhibition up into the northern regions. You know, north of the of scandinavia basically way yeah. way up north where it's super cold and and to study get this in 1979 to study climate change that's pretty cool and yeah. they're all talking it's all all every character in it is a scientist of some kind and they're all like discussing uh climate change and stuff that's pretty neat i don't I, that's the first i think you have to go back a long ways to find a movie that with a bunch of scientists taking that seriously at that time uh, even today, we don't really have movies like that. Um, you know, we just we want to see the world burn for our six bucks. We don't <laughs> we don't really want it, right? Uh, don't ex- be all explainy about it. We yeah. just want to turn our brains off. We want at the end of the movie for people to go, oh, probably should have listened to that whole thing about climate change. But that's your island's end. fun. It's I yeah. feel like it's a bait and switch. I feel like it's it makes you think it's a smart movie where you should keep your brain engaged, but it really does work better if you turn your brain off. Mm-hmm. But it's fun. It's got, you know, avalanches and skiing accidents and it's got these these really cool. There were only a handful of them in the whole world at the time. They're not uh, snowmobiles, but they're like these two seater hot rod hovercraft things. And there's a big chase with those on the ice and stuff. And um, yeah, that's, that's on the poster here. Yeah, I'm sure because that, yeah, that's the most exciting bit in the film. And it's good. Vanessa Redgrave, Donald Sutherland, Christopher Lee, Richard Widmark. Uh, it's a couple of people's first films ever. It's Bruce Greenwood's first ever movie. Mm. It was shot. It was shot with mostly British money, but shot in Canada as a British 
Canadian co-production and was one of the most expensive independent films ever produced at that time. And nobody today has even heard of it. <laughs> and I get it. Yeah, I did not know about Bear Island. <laughs> I get it, but it's it's I feel bad for it because it's not that bad. It's it's fun. And it's and it takes things seriously that, that the techno thrillers of today sort of gloss over a little bit. It you know, there's a there's a certain amount of mortality in it. There's 79 there's distrust still of germany yeah which seems weird and there's distrust of russia and this is like a united nations mission so all these different ethnic groups are all mixed in and there's like resentment from the old wars and concern about the new ones and so there's this paranoia within it that's a very cool sort of 70s paranoia that's pretty well done um and and it's just kind of moody. There's some moody, fun stuff. There's a really cool set piece where they find this secret Nazi chamber where they used to park their U-boats to be refueled and stuff. And that's, I mean, that's really well designed and cool and, and creepy and fun. And so it's fun. If you like those sorts of stories, I guess, it's a pretty fun one. Very cool. Yeah, that one. Does, I mean, it, yeah, it sounds it sounds fun. Um, a very different type of film. Uh, yeah. Your your second film. Um, also oh, these are of, sort of in chronological order the way they're here. They sure. weren't put in really any sort of order. Sorry, that's fine. But from nineteen, also from nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. Um, a little film where that that taught people to like Stally Field. Norma Ray. <laughs> Norma Ray. That's still Sally Field's best performance ever. She, yeah. Obviously, she won the Oscar for it, but when you watch it, she won another Oscar later, like for Places in the Heart or something like that. So, uh, what's the one where she's trying to save her farm or whatever? Uh, yeah, yeah, I will find. That's it. not nearly as good, and she's been she's good in all kinds of things. I mean, she's even halfway decent, in, like Smoking the Bandit, which is a movie that doesn't do her any favors. Um, so, you know, world-class actor, basically. But this, it really does boil down to this. This film is about a textile worker in Georgia or Mississippi or something. I can't remember exactly where. I'll Maybe the Carolinas. I'm just finding her other... Uh, her other, her other Oscar. I don't know uh, that it's that important. But uh, Norma raised oh, the... Oh, was Places in the Heart. Sorry, Places, yeah, places in the Heart, in the heart. I was right. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it is, um, 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 why can't I find it? It I doesn't matter, this. man. We just need to, yeah, yeah. It, I don't know what you're looking for, but I'm looking for care. where, where the, the factory is, where everything is. It's not important. Somewhere okay. in the South where they have textile mills. I, I should remember. I just watched the movie for like the 10th time, but it's not important. It's a Southern place, you know, mm -hmm. um, where, like I say, they, 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 they're non-unionized textile mills that they work in. And this Ron Liebman plays this, is his best performance ever, shows up as this union guy who's trying to organize them. And she she's always been, like, looking for, you know, protecting the older workers and the younger ones and basically the at-risk ones. She's sort of the the unelected leader of that particular group of people and, and is always sort of fighting for better conditions for them. But they're all scared of 
their bosses. They're scared of losing their jobs. They're scared of a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. And it, it, it's all about how they come, you know, how the union wins the big victory. I guess that's a spoiler alert because it's not a foregone conclusion that they will, but it's the fight just, you know, for their rights to make a decent living, to not be completely exploited. Uh, Pat Hingle is great in it. Grace Zabriskie's great in it. Bo Bridges is fantastic in it. Um, Who else? There's one other person that I'm forgetting that's really, really important. Uh, Um, Bo Bridges, uh, uh, Barbara Baxley, uh, Gregory Walcott is the sheriff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Noble Willingham's in it too. Everybody does a really, really good job. Um, but it's, it's, it's an incredible performance by Sally. She just inhabits this lady in a way that's really, really special. She's, she can be a bit of a movie star and there's nothing really wrong with that, but Mm -hmm. it, this is, this is like, it's like the perfect role for her at that time. You know, um, the, the, the theme song to it too, by sung by Jennifer Warrens, I think it's written by David Shire and I forget who wrote the lyrics, but that one, that very, even at the time, very controversially won the best song Oscar out from under rainbow connection, yeah. which as time has gone on, rainbow connections, like an American standard mm-hmm. and their, t- that tune from Norma Ray is not, but it's still a wonderful song that it goes like nicely. it goes by David Shire and Norman Gimbel. Yeah, that good song. I mean, really, really good. I can see why it won at the time, but... It also beat out Through the Eyes of Love. So Through the Eyes of Love, Rainbow Connection, and It Goes As It Goes. It's a murderer's row of songs, for sure. Um, but it's a great song, and the the score is great. And you, the lived-in feel of the South and these people's homes and the bars mm-hmm. they hang out at, the cars they drive, all of that. Uh, is really neat. And the the bigger thing, and we said this a lot in the 70s, and this is still the 70s, but this is sort of moving into a different era, but it's just these very well-rounded, believable characters. They don't represent things. They're flawed, and they're just fully realized in the script and then in the film. It's directed by Martin Ritt, and he's a good director. He gets the most out of his people. And Sally's best ever movie, so you should watch it. If you're Mm -hmm. a fan of hers and you missed it, you know. Or if they made you watch it in school or something and you were like, eh. But, you know, now you're you're in your 40s, you should check it out. It's good. Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't think she does her Sally, her great Sally Fieldism that she does in, in, in so many of her films. Like the first it. time I, it's where she said something three times, three different ways. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, where she's, she's like, we're going to unionize. We're going to unionize. We're going to unionize. You know, she no. there's none of that in this one. It's, no. uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it's not in this she one. She talks a lot, though. It's a, it's a talky movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, so, but that's one a, of my favorite things that, you know, has become like a character trait I look for. And anytime I see Sally Field in the movie, I wait for the moment where she says something three times. Um, and, yeah, and it's a talky I'm movie, very, but I don't recall yeah. that happening necessarily. Yeah, um, yeah I, I I love Norma Ray. No, yeah, Norma Ray is uh, it's a great. Um, yeah, I mean it's a great uh, 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 explanation of unions and why unions exist, and and um, 
the, you know, the, the benefits uh, of, a, of a union, you know, where, yeah, it's, if you believe that you should be able to make a, well, that, a living. that's why I first watched it, but, and that's, it's, that's not wrong, but it, it just yeah. isn't a textbook of a movie at all. It, it, it is about, no, you're absolutely right. it's about it not a- just people, but it's about these very specific people in this yeah. very specific situation. And that, that's what makes it saying mm-hmm. it really, in every scene, it's really wonderful. So, yeah. I think it's 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 I, I I should I mean I think that's why it is a good movie to watch um if you I mean you know, from a macro perspective of excuse me of understanding unions and the in the existence of unions from a macro because it is not a textbook of a movie yeah. it is a very it is a wonderful story it's got really lived in I think as you said lived in characters um She's got yeah, she's got so many good really Oscar worthy scenes in it, but my favorite scene in it from Sally is she has to sit her kids and her two kids and her her uh, stepdaughter down and explain to them. She has to explain to one of her to her oldest son who her dad actually is because all right. this is coming out and all these hit pieces against her because she's trying to do this, and they're going to be teased about it at school and all this stuff's going to happen and. It's a stunning scene. It's really, really incredible. It's just her and three kids. It might as well be her and three monkeys, you know. It's not an easy to do that sort of scene. And and then it's just, it's really, really well done. Like, from start to finish, everything in it, I really, really dig. It's cool. Uh, All right, next up is uh, Or there's this great, uh, one more thing. There's a great scene where Bo Bridges picks her up for a date. And her her two kids have to come with him, with her. And he's like, "Oh, are they coming?" And she's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Oh, okay." And she's like, "Unless you want to, you know, whatever, you know." They, yes, they gotta go with me. I gotta take care of them. So they climb in the back of his pickup truck. That's a big no no. Don't do that anymore. But uh, he's like, "Okay, well, I gotta stop somewhere." And he stops at home and picks up his little girl so they can all go together. It's adorable. It's, I mean, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's. Because he becomes a bit of a foil for her on her journey, not completely, not in a cliched way, but Bo Bridges' character, again, is this guy who you just can really believe, who really is doing his best as he can to do the right thing. And yet all his fear and anxiety over the whole ordeal like keep bubbling to the surface anyway. So it, mm-hmm. I love that. I mean, I just love that you can't pin him in a, some cliched storytelling hole and they all the characters in it are like that even the right. management of the place are like you know they're not to your typical villains frankly so um yeah i, I, I love no more um all right next up is uh robert redford in brubaker hey remember in the 70s when Everybody was named Brew Baker. Where did all the Brew Bakers go, Joel? <laughs> that's a very good point. Uh, they well, let's see. They because of the popularity, they of the were Brew Baker everywhere. Yep, they, and uh, culminating they, in this film, the last film of the seventies, basically Brew Baker, where Robert Redford plays the a new a new like uber liberal prison warden who goes to his own prison undercover to see what the conditions are like there. Um, that's sort of a spoiler. Like the movie didn't, the, although I don't know these days, I don't know how you can even consider a movie without knowing that going in, mm-hmm. but the movie plays it like you don't know, like he really is a prisoner. And the whole first act of the film is him going through this prison experience. Right. 
Um, the film, I, I don't know if the trailer or whatever reveals that to you. The movie ultimately doesn't end up being about a prisoner. It ends up being about a warden. So it's, I think it's important to make that distinction, but mm-hmm. it's a prison movie with a, again, a just big pile of really, really good actors at the time. Um, and a lot of kind of like Norma Ray, it's a ton of social commentary in it. No question, yeah. but it's, but it just it isn't it, it isn't that only it, it there's way way more to it than that they, these characters are very real and the situation is very odd and and redford as you know nothing's better than redford as a crusader against the system i mean that's Agreed. it doesn't get Agreed. any better than that that's fantastic and that's what this movie is but this movie's kind of there's hardly any women in it there's a couple but i mean you know it's a ma- male world at a male prison who who are being farmed out to do uh, labor for profit. And the profit that they're getting through the labor is all, it's not, it's all going to corrupt pockets and stuff. And Oh, it's weeding all that out and finding Mm -hmm. out the real depth and horror of that actually. And of keeping that a secret throughout the years. It's a cool film. I, I forgot how good it was. That's one Norma Ray. I watch all the time because I really adore it. And, you know, because of its Oscar cred and everything, but Brubaker hadn't seen in ages, and it that holds up really, really well. It's a yeah. I, I they're both a time it. capsule, you know, of the late seventies or early eighties, but but they're still really, really good. It uh, it, yeah, it, it did get a nomination for uh for screenplay. Um, let's see for yeah for original screenplay, but yeah, I haven't seen Brubaker. Well, in half many, the many stuff, years. not all of it, but half the stuff that's illegal that they're fighting against in Brubaker is completely legal and totally normalized today. Yeah, for profit yeah. labor in prisons and for profit prisons or whatever. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that that didn't get fixed by this <laughs> movie. It quite the opposite, actually, as it turns out. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, but Yafet Koto is in it. David Keith, very uh, very uh, young Morgan Freeman's in this one. Mm-hmm, that's right. Um, M. Emmett Wall. Morgan Freeman back in when he was a heavy, you know, back yeah. when he was a scary bad guy, which he was mm-hmm. a lot in the late seventies and early eighties. We we think of him as this wise old sage who just is going to narrate our lives and point us in the right direction and whatever, yeah. and meet up with us and Zwat Neo. But he he used to be a stone cold pimp in films. Yeah. If you go back and watch, and this is one of those roles, and it's pretty cool. So he's scary in it. Yep, uh, Everett McG- McGill. Yeah, Fakoto is cast in the Morgan Freeman role. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, it's sort of a reversal. Apparently, Nicholas Cage is an uncredited background prisoner. No, I missed him. Yeah, but. Uh, um un, yeah so this was be- one year before his first credited role so he was he was uh making his way he was it's a his it's way a prison movie it's, no, it's, it's and yeah. it's kind of a mystery and it, it's it's good though it's a good film mm-hmm. um you're i i don't think you're missing i don't think it's a there's even a shootout in it which yeah. it's not the kind of movie that would normally have one and it has actually a pretty exciting shootout so huh. um yeah no I car don't chases think though yeah, I don't think it's a a, a big spoiler to say he is, uh, you know, that he's uh, he's appearing. It, literally, the first uh, sentence in this plot description is, "Brubaker arrives at Wakefield State Prison in Arkansas disguised as an inmate." So I still feel like the movie doesn't tell you that. 
And so I feel, I always, I, I get it. I just told yeah. everybody, I don't know how you talk about the movie without it, mm-hmm. but the movie spends a good 25 minutes ish without you knowing that necessarily, unless yeah. you read the back of the box or, you know, and the poster doesn't, well, the poster tells you too. So I guess people would have known. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right. It's so- funny because a screen from a screenwriter perspective, you know, this was a last script I wrote. This was a criticism that our buddy Michael had, who's a really good writer, uh, was just that, you know, you kind of you don't have you're not telling anybody anything and you're not you're not setting up anything easily. And we don't know who we're supposed to focus on as a character here. And I, I wrote it that way deliberately, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, just as this is a sidetrack, but the the movie The Thing, before Kurt Russell was cast in it, that you weren't supposed to know that movie wasn't supposed to have a central character. It right. just it's written where it doesn't have one. And I always thought that's that's so cool. I w- would like to do that someday. Like you, eventually you get to one because in any sort of horror story, you you know characters start dropping and then you've got to figure it out but you know one of the cool things you know with alien and we'll talk about that later this summer but you know tom scarrett's top build in that and he's he goes about halfway through it spoiler alert for alien i guess but that you know you it really is a rather even ensemble i think before john hurt was cast it had john finch in it who had to bail out because he got really really sick and john finch is more uh, he's more of a good-looking, like leading man hero kind of guy than Hurt is. Yeah. Hurt's much more of a interesting character actor. But that sort of gung ho, I'm gonna go on the mission and I want to do this like that. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to think that guy's gonna save the day. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> he he brings you down. Like I, that sort of thing makes is cool to me. So yeah, this movie, you know, if we ever talk about like Dark City, the the reveals, you almost have to talk about them, or you can't talk about what the thing is. Right. But I do admire a film where the writer wrote it a certain way. He wrote it as a what's going on here, you know, to mm-hmm. disorient you. And I always. Whenever I say that stuff out loud, I just I feel like I'm betraying them somehow. Ah. That's all. Yeah. It's yeah. just a point of philosophy. Um, all right. Uh, next up is a movie called that I I, I don't know this movie. Uh, Zulu Dawn. Oh, it's this is sequel. To, well, it's a prequel to Zulu. Oh, Speaking okay. of Alien, um, John Hurt it was it was not John Finch. God rest his soul and Hurt. Hurt Hurt was offered that role in Alien first, but he had to turn it down because he'd accepted a role in Zulu Dawn. But then Zulu Dawn, uh, then the the Republic of South Africa, where Zulu Dawn was being shot, uh, set, denied him a visa to work there because of his activism. And John Hurt's like, well, geez, I don't have any activism, really. <laughs> he says it all, you know, British and charming or whatever, yeah. where he's... Uh, but he thinks he suspects that they mixed him up with John Hurd, the American actor who is oh. very much an activist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then as a result, uh, Finch got like I said, I can, he had real problems. He was hospitalized. He was taken from the set of Alien to the hospital where he remained for several days before he recovered. And uh, Ridley Scott famously traveled up to the north of England to pitch the thing to Hurt overnight, and he said, "Sure." I'm suddenly available. Why not? <laughs> yeah. 
But Zulu Dawn's a big, you know, it's it, again, it's a really antiquated style of film for for where it came out here, it, very in a very wrong-headed way. The film Zulu with Michael Caine is the story of this remote British outpost where they held off this mass of Zulu warriors attacking them for like more than a day, and 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 even though the the Zulu uprising in Africa is considered one of the biggest losses in the British Empire's history. That story, like the Alamo or whatever, very much like the Alamo, has taken on an outsized legend mm. for being a point of pride, even even amongst what is was a de, uh, military defeat. Um, Zulu Dawn is the prequel to that story, basically. And they thought they've been trying to do it prequel forever. And then when so, when some idiot at some studio finally said, yes, you can do it now. It was way too late. It was way too late to do it. But Burt Lancaster, Peter O'Toole, uh, Ronald Lacey's in it. Ronald Pickup's in it. This big list of British luminaries, character actors and such. Bob Hoskins is in it. He's fantastic in it. Yeah. There, there's no better, uh, you know, British Imperial like drill sergeant available in any movie than Bob Hoskins. And he's, he's fantastic. And uh, Simon Ward is worth mentioning. Cause he, even though he didn't, wasn't a big star, he's sort of the star of the movie. He's the young, good looking hero of the film. Right. And it's all shot on location with tons of Zulu extras. And it's, again, it's got these big battles and, all this wide shot camera stuff. And I mean, it's, it's a good movie genuinely. And because it, it, it's like, a there's a bit of that. I don't want to call it like a Vietnam allegory, but there there's every time you tell a story like that, where the, where the, the people without the technology, without the weapons, without the, you know, without the sense of civilization rise up against an oppressor, you know, even though we're very much watching the film from the oppressor's perspective and our right. sympathies are with them naturally because they look and talk like us, you know, the Zulus, we spend some time with them too. So we get where they're coming from, but not much. They're mostly this mob of faceless enemies coming at us, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, I like it because it is a complicated movie in that way. It, it, it tugs on your sympathies. It shows the foolishness of imperialism, frankly. And that's, I think that even in 79, that was a cool thing for a British movie to do, but it was shot with the cooperation of the apartheid, you know, regime in South Africa, like a lot of movies from this era, a lot of really good ones, but nevertheless, that was a mm -hmm. cheap place to go make a film. And a lot of the, uh, of the, uh, African, um, actors and stuff of those days were very conflicted about taking roles in those. So they were always, uh, they were always looking for what's, what the movie about ultimately, what's the lesson? Because if you're an African actor and a British, big British movie comes, you can't just say no to it. You, especially if the message in the end is something you can kind of get behind. And this is one of those films. So mm -hmm. good. It's, very cool. it's good, but it's, it's, it's weird. And it's, very, very much fallen by the wayside. Sure. I, sure. My funny story, I, my friend Gus, when I rented this when we were in college, just a really crappy VHS cropped version of it, which couldn't have been good. And he, he fell asleep during it. And then he woke up 
and started to freak out. <laughs> <laughs> because of there were so many Zulus. <laughs> I don't want to besmirch him, but yeah. he might have had some other sort of substances that were inspiring his sort of paranoia about what was happening on the screen. Right. But I, I'd never heard of yeah. it either, and I was riveted by it. So that's sort of a weird but relatively happy memory. And this these days it's restored. It's a full-on sort of widescreen spectacle of a film. It's not bad. It's pretty good. Oh, cool. And it has a cool alien connection. Maybe we'll talk about that again later. Forgive oh. us if I repeat myself. All right. Um, all right. So the next one I found odd that you put this on um, on the list because uh, I'm assuming it, it, you just watched the video for. Yeah. I, I found it interesting that you decided to watch the video version of the final countdown. Let me put my and, cape and... on and do a magic trick for you. <laughs> um, oh, oh, gob. Um, <laughs> that's so funny that he uses that song. That's the best use of that song ever. Yep. Second best uh, use was when Metallica did an MTV contest where a kid won a contest, got to hang out with Metallica mm -hmm. for like all weekend or whatever. Th those sorts of contests, they don't do those anymore for insurance purposes, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and what they what they got him the first first of all that song starts playing they brought him like a guitar with the neck broken and they had a like a a door sized signed uh, poster of Joey Tempest from Europe <laughs> and they, all this other just crap basically and of course that wasn't his real prizes they were they were punking him but it was <laughs> it was really really funny um i'm not like a huge metallica fan my sympathies probably more with joey and europe i i really dug uh, final countdown when it came out yeah. but it's a nice reminder of the what the real rock bands thought of hair metal and stuff they yeah. were they didn't like it it all it's all mixed together now but at the time like it, <laughs> You know, you couldn't get somebody in Guns N' Roses to say something nice about Motley Crue, nor right. should they have. And right. and the guys in Metallica were not impressed with Poison at all. And it's fun to yeah. watch them in that era just hammer those hair metal mm -hmm. bastards. I hate every yeah. one of them. Yeah, there's a reason why. I mean, well, again, sidetrack. Guns N' Roses. Sebastian Bach, respect. Yeah. The very uh, the very first Guns N' Roses video for Welcome to the Jungle, they they have those guys primped up a little bit, a little bit hair metal-y. <laughs> right. and, you, and, you, and, and there's a reason why after that you never see them like that. that right, once. That was when... That was when Axel got started his uh, his bandana phase and and um, yeah they weren't just, into it once little, they had a little bit of power and had some yeah, hits on like, the radio yeah, they reverted right, back studio, to what you, they were you, yeah you win this round studio but we're gonna you know we're gonna win the war um, <laughs> that's, no, it's, that's the a movie, topic for a different podcast yeah, but whatever the uh, the movie yeah so the the movie is the 1980 movie uh, the final countdown it's a great we should save it for a time travel episode but. Rob's always trying to get us to do time travel, and I, I obviously I like time travel movies, but mm -hmm. I, just, I just find it they're so. They're, to me, there aren't time travel movies. They're always primarily something else, and time travel is just a, a MacGuffin with which we mm -hmm. get to whatever that is, whether it's yeah, romance yeah. or, you know what I mean? There's, you just you don't know. 
yeah. whether it's the Terminator or whatever. I don't really want to talk about Terminator 2 and somewhere in time in the same episode, for example. And yet, at, in terms of time travel, they're the top of the genre, you know. Mm -hmm. This is a time travel movie. It's really cool. It's, it's Martin Sheen plays this uh, private advisor guy who is going on a on a little pleasure cruise around hawaii on an aircraft carrier commanded by kirk douglas and to basically to to see if he has any ideas of how they can do things differently or whatever he's a consultant and they go through this time vortex d designed by the great uh, morris binder most famous for designing the james bond credit sequences sure. and and they end up you know same place but in a different time they end up just off the coast of hawaii uh 24 hours prior to the bombing of pearl harbor and because they're a bunch of clever guys they figure that out and then they have to decide kind of what to do about it it's it's tricky um and it's it's really really fun there there's they run into these people from the era played by Charles Sterning and Catherine Ross and the whole film was done with um cooper full on cooperation from the United States Navy and so it's the the all the footage of the jets taken off and stuff and all the gear and all the sets and uniforms like everything just rings true as far as that goes if you ever watch a military movie where the military <laughs> didn't Yep. You know what I mean? Uh these days it can be faked pretty well like the but it but back then you really needed their help to, you yeah. know, to do that kind of thing. They shot it on an aircraft carrier, they shot it in the port of Pearl Harbor. They there's this great sequence where they're um where he's being flown out to the aircraft carrier and they fly over the Arizona Memorial and stuff. This is a really cool movie and it has one of those cool what do you do ethical questions about time travel mm -hmm. none of these guys were this isn't some mad scientist who went back in time and now has to decide whether he wants to kill a dinosaur or not but it's the same kind of thing where it's like you know we we the really smart people who are inclined to not let all these folks you know get murdered basically in this sneak attack and they have to think about whether they really should do that or not indeed they 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 inadvertently rescue a couple people they shouldn't have rescued and they got to decide rather grimly what to do with them <laughs> and their solution is let's just say ingenious and one of the cooler ending reveals of of any film out there and it's just fun. It, it's all underplayed and played really believably. Kirk Douglas, who can get, go over the top, is a very cool customer as the commander of that ship. Martin Sheen is 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 really cool. They put him in this pale blue suit, which is very <laughs> yeah. you know plenty cool, I'm sure, for 1980. But he stands out like a sore thumb in every scene he's in with all these tan, you know, military guys. If that makes right. any sense, it's 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 deliberate and it's clever. And yeah. the film's full of that sort of clever visual storytelling. I really, really dig. So, very cool. Yeah, it's it's a fun movie from that era um, that you know I caught on cable TV at the time, but could have easily missed. And it's great. It's a fun '80s adventure. I really, really dig. It's very classy and adult, but mm -hmm. you know, so it doesn't have a lot of that '80s kitsch that things like you know, I don't know. The, yeah. Like, 
the explorers or inner space you know it's not that kind of 80s movie but it's still really cool it's more of a 70s movie um all right uh next up is uh this is the one that when i was a kid this was one of my favorite movies yeah and that's the bounty oh really when you were a kid well yeah like when i was like 12 to, to you know it was like early i mean the movie came out when i was about 10 or so i remember seeing it on video like in the early days when we would go to it, uh, it's widely know. believed to be the closest to the actual telling of the mutiny on the bounty story. Mm-hmm. Like it really, it 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 really sees all sides of it essentially, and and it 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 shows the breakdown in a really really believable way. Anthony Hopkins plays the uh, what's it, Colonel Bly or what's his yeah name? William Bly, Lieutenant Bly. Yeah, who, who's commander of this uh, merchant vessel that's traveling to South America to pick up stuff and bring them back. Uh, mostly agricultural stuff, because they have to go there, then they have to wait for it to grow and stuff before they can travel back with it. Mm-hmm. And his whole... And, and his, his, uh, his, his buddy that he's traveled with before, Fletcher Christian, um, played by... Uh, all-time hunky Mel Gibson in this film. Yeah, at, at his hunkiest. At his absolute hunkiest. And he and he knows it and he's he's really good in it. He it's mm-hmm. a it's a it, Mel's a mixed bag. He was a really good actor especially during this era, but you you didn't quite know what you were going to get from him. It all depended on how he saw the material or whatever. But he's he was a, you know, he's he, He's a Hollywood actor who grew up in Australia, and he's surrounded by – none of these guys were big names yet. Even Hopkins was not a big name yet. But Anthony Hopkins and Liam Neeson and Daniel Day-Lewis, they, the the supporting cast of this film is packed to the rafters with guys who went on to much more notable work. And he's fantastic in it. The The ship scenes are exciting and amazing. Uh, the score by Vangelis is 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 otherworldly and incredible. Like, it he's a weird fit for this mm-hmm. material, and yet it really works like a charm. Somehow, I don't know. I don't know how all the you know synthesizer scores of the '80s either work or they don't work. But that this one really, really works. Part, partly, I think, because Vangelis, even though he's he's heavy on the keyboards, is he always has this big cavernous percussion and he always has all these other things going on in his music. I think that really helps his stuff sort of stick out among, amongst the rest. This yeah, is yeah. one of my favorites. Um, the sequence where they're trying to get around Cape Horn is just, just stunningly amazing, especially in, in, in widescreen, you know, when you take it out of, off of Showtime or however we watched it as a kid. Sure. You watch it now and it's, it's a, breathtakingly beautiful film no, i'm gonna have to do that because I, I never obviously i never saw it in the theater I mean, it doesn't have a very good video transfer which sucks because it wasn't a big hit but it it just getting it getting more pixels and getting it getting it out in widescreen again so you really see the vistas and see can really follow the action the cape horn sequence when i was a kid because I, I watched this when i was a kid same as joel um was just this big gray mess. Like you, it helped with the chaos, but you couldn't really tell what was going on. And now you can, and it's awesome. It's it's a not an action sequence per se, but it's it's goal oriented screen action, which is very cool to watch. I think. And 
the tropics are great. And, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't really get it. I thought, well, this is, by the time it was over, I was like, well, this is a downer. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I didn't expect any movie to be a downer at all when I saw it when I was 10 or 12. I just didn't expect that. I thought everything would get resolved adequately. and Yeah. Uh, I, I got to admit, I, I couldn't tell you why I loved it. It's good. It's really, really good. You must have just known that inherently. Yeah, I just watched it all the I mean, I remember seeing um, the, um, you know, Mutiny on the Bounty with. Um, <sighs> Marlon Brando? Uh, uh, no, not Brando's version. Um, hmm. There have been some others, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I bet I can find it here. I bet I can find it here. Oh, yeah. Clark Gable and Charles Lawton. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, yeah. That's a Charles, good movie. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing that um, and, and kind of digging that. Uh, you Did, know, and you saw that first. Yeah, I think I if I would have seen one of the older ones first and knew what to expect from the movie when I first saw it, my expectations would not have been dashed so much because I just didn't yeah. know. I didn't know what that story was. Yeah, I, I everybody kind of does now. It's it's amazing in a way. I mean, uh, Bly and, Christ, and Christian in this in this version of the film, are, they're almost like lovers. And they, almost, they have these like weird jealousies and these weird sort of moments where they just can't mm -hmm. because they need each other for this to work. And they just, at a certain point, they get alienated enough from each other that they can't reconnect and make it go. Even though at different times, different guys are trying to make it work, it's always at the wrong time. Yep. And if you've ever seen a relationship dissolve into madness, disappointment, and frustration, it this it rings really, really true. And it's outstanding performance by Hopkins and really, really, really good by Gibson. Mm -hmm. And I, I really yeah. dig it. It's an old school adventure tale in that there's, you know, it's, it, there's no treasure or any of that kind yeah. of thing. It, it's old school. It's just, and it's not, it's not a swashbuckler. Right. It, uh, but it does transport you into that, the sea life and the, you know, mm -hmm. it, 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 you really learn a lot about that sort of thing in it, you know, in a Moby yeah. Dick sort of way. Yeah. Yeah, that's accurate. I, I, I'm thinking, and I could be misremembering, but I'm thinking like this is one of those that I was like, my dad, we watched it like on a Sunday, rainy Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon um, when it was on TV, the, the, the Charles Lawton version. Um, and then when this came out, then it was like, oh, well, this is a new version of, the, of Mutiny on the Bounty. Let's, let's rent this. Because I, I do distinctly remember renting it from, as we've mentioned before, CNC video. Directed um, by Roger Donaldson. It's a yeah. really, really strong film. Um, okay. Uh, and then the last one here on your list here of uh, fun films from the last couple of weeks. Um, 1984's Iceman. Another movie I dug. I remember digging this, like seeing this on HBO. When I was a kid, I loved Iceman too. Yeah. Because it just, not, I don't know, I don't know, again, I don't know why, but I... Uh, Partly because it's very, very good, um, but it's it's just different. It's a di totally different kind of film that I could I can't think of anything quite like it. Um, it's it's really stylized and shot in a really awesome way, right from the first shot. Basically, mm -hmm. um, uh, we talked about it back in our uh, exploitation episode. Uh, our guest brought brought up this filmmaker fred shepsey 
I'm going to say his name wrong, but he directed uh, films that we talk about a lot on the show, The Russia House. Shapizy, Fred Shapizy. Yeah, except I don't think that's how you say it. That's how I've been saying it for years oh, until I, I was... until I actually heard an Australian say it a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, "Oh, it's totally oh, not it's, what I thought." Um, apparently, according to this, it's Skipsy. Uh, Skipsy, yeah, thank you. That so I'm trying to get that right because I've been calling him Fred Shapizy for years. He directed, uh, you know, Steve Martin's Roxanne, and like I said, uh, Russia House. He's got a whole list of interesting films that he's made. He's a uh, He's a notoriously difficult director. He like he likes to have his way, and he has some strange ideas. And this movie's a strange movie. This film, the studio dictated at some point that he reshoot a different ending for it, and he pretend he went so far as to pretend to reshoot it, but not reshoot it, and put his original ending in the final cut before it was too late. Well, at the time, it was too late for them to do anything about it. So. <laughs> So he's a, I mean, that's film director badassery, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was uh, Columbia Pictures he was dealing with at the time. Um, I believe, if I'm remembering it right, I think I am. Uh, Iceman's really good. It had it just had a restoration, so it's a, another sort of weird widescreen adventure tale that you can really see. If you grew up watching it on HBO and stuff like Joel and me, you can really see now what it is visually, which is a very impressive film. It's another ensemble movie. It's about uh, they find this uh, Neanderthal in the ice, and they bring him back to this uh, up near the North Pole. They bring him back to this this uh laboratory that they've got up there and and they're studying the effects on him at, and his tissue and everything about him as they're thawing him out and through some weird thing while he's while he's thawing his his uh he his some of his systems start to kick into gear and somebody in the room gets this idea to resuscitate him and they bring him back to life and then they don't know what to do with him <laughs> They don't know what yep. to do with him. He obviously doesn't belong in 1984, and they can't just set him loose in the Arctic. <laughs> so it's complicated. The Iceman's played by John Lone, the anthropologist that's the head of his case once he becomes a living thing, instead of just a frozen relic, is Timothy Hutton in one of his great post-Oscar roles. He did a whole bunch of them. Sadly, none of them were big hits, but he used to choose projects like it for being really interesting mm -hmm. ideas and this is one of those films uh it's got lindsey kraus and danny glover and joseph summer and there's a whole bunch of recognizable faces david strathairn um as these group of scientists or whatever and it's it's a cool movie it's about a relationship between these two people from different times it's an anthropological adventure basically um it takes place in an exotic land, but it really takes place in this zoo that they build for this guy before while they try to study him and figure out what to do with him. And I love it. I I think Iceman's really, really cool. That's a film from that era that, again, I don't know why I liked it at the time, but same as Joel, I, it affected me. I, I did like mm -hmm. it. Or it, it if I didn't think I liked it, it it stuck with me. It made an impression, and that impression has grown through the years as I've grown. We talk about that phenomenon all the time. Um, it's a mature movie with some big, complicated human ideas in it. And you you when once you start to realize what those are, and you've lived them a little bit, it becomes really a meaningful film. 
Um, it's a bit of an allegory. It's, it's a bit of a not what it is. The story itself is sort of unbelievable, but the things it if you could just buy into the miracles of science in it, the 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 themes and stuff that it explores are really really interesting and cool. So, mm -hmm. and it's visually still even better than it was. It's just it's a really cool movie. The yeah. scene with the helicopter lifting the block of ice out of where this cavern that they're in at the beginning of the movie is. It's stunning. It's like, wow, that looks really... That scale of that and the idea of that is so cool. And mm -hmm. all their little laboratories and stuff are all neat and full of weird gizmos. And and you just got all these scenes of a quandary that all these super smart people are debating. And they all have different takes on it and everything. And that's interesting to me. I really dig that kind of movie. So Yeah, this is one that I, I honestly hadn't even thought of this movie until i saw it when you when you emailed me or when you uh, messaged me your list and i was like oh man Iceman! i remember watching that a ton when when i was a kid too it's like oh so, yeah that's the one that i'm gonna have to revisit kino like, lorber put out a blu-ray in america of Iceman that is mm -hmm. spectacular uh a, a less spectacular version of the bounty but we're still grateful for it yeah yeah because those have high definition Physical releases, I assume that you can stream them places. I would really think so. Yeah, Whereas I'm things like that. Bear Island, uh, Zulu Dawn, maybe not. But <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing. Uh, yeah, you can. You can. I can rent Iceman for like three dollars on Amazon. It's certainly worth three dollars. Yeah. I know we're all used to getting stuff for free now, or uh, perceived free, but it's worth your three bucks for sure. It's Just worth your old school rental fee. Yeah, just for fun here. Let's see if uh, if uh, Bear Island is available to watch anywhere. Nope, not not at all. <laughs> it doesn't surprise nope, me. Cool like look. I said, it, it's a DVD. A DVD looks great, but it's a mm -hmm. DVD from England. Uh, it's region uh, two locked, so you won't even can't even play it on a normal player. You got to have a special yeah. one like me. It's a bummer. Still seemed worth talking about. I don't know when we would ever talk about it otherwise. <laughs> right um okay well so that uh that does it um that does it for this i think oh you know i, I was gonna mention a movie that i watched um uh, uh i have no idea what spurred me to watch this but um it was a movie that i decided to revisit from my childhood it was uh the island at the top of the world from 1974 the disney's uh island at the top of the world i've never heard of that oh my gosh it's great it's uh got um is it on disney plus yeah, it's got David Hartman. It's it's like they travel. Um, yeah, they they way kind of you know you were talking about uh, um, uh, Bear Island. It's what made you know um, it's what made me think to put this to to mention this is yeah they they uh, it's this uh, guy whose son whose son was an explorer who uh, went missing and so this guy uh, uh, gets David Hartman. Who is a uh, a um, uh, what is he? Is he an anthropologist? I think he might be an anthropologist. Um, they make good he's an archaeologist. He's an archaeologist. Oh. Is what it is. Um, to uh, help him travel to try to you know to try to find his son and like the super rich guy and he gets you know and so they do this expedition and they end up in in like this uh, secret uh this secret island this secret world that's been hidden away from man and, and they essentially still uh live by norse mythology they're you know they're essentially almost like ancient vikings hmm. um and it's uh yeah it's it's like a family movie yeah it's pretty family friendly i'll check it out yeah that sounds fun that sounds like my kind of thing yeah it um, was a good time 
Cool. I got just I thought of something watched... too, and I'm going to talk about it now, even though it's totally off topic, because I'll never right. remember to talk about it again. No. There's an old uh, after-school special about this teenage girl who uh, who was like obsessed with the royal family and wanted to be a princess. And when her grandfather dies, her family moves up to his cabin on this uh, river in between Canada and America. And as they're all settled in, they go to get their mail. And both America and Canada thinks that the island belongs to the other. And she ends up becoming like the princess of this island. It's just, I don't know why, what you just said that made me think of that, but it, I did think of it. And I think of it from time to time, even though I don't really remember the details. I just want to give a shout out to whoever wrote that after school special, whose name I can't remember. That is a super clever idea for a show. And I tip my hat to you. I dig that a lot. Um, let's see now. Princess of Island Barbie. Probably not that. I'm trying to see if I can find it. You're not going to be able to find it. Mm. Okay. Well, if I find it, I'll put it on the uh, Facebook page with uh, the movie show with Joel. I, and I, I can't it. find it, and I remember it very well. But I, mm. it's it was an it was aired as an after school special, although it really didn't have a let's learn about this or let's learn about that sort of aspect. <laughs> this to one it. was more of a you know what? Sometimes for an after school, you just need a break. <laughs> it, it's i don't even know if it's any good i just remember that yeah. idea sparked my imagination i'm like well how about that you know and of course it doesn't work out where that if the island becomes a sovereign nation or anything but yeah. the, but it but the idea was really really solid and adding adding the fact that the kid was super into like princess die and stuff and i mean that, that's like a that's like an extra thing so she really wants to fight for her new home's which she's right. not happy to be dragged off to at the beginning. She wants to sort of fight for its independence. And nice. It's, it's fun. It's neat, neat, neat idea. So, um, also I wanted, I do want to mention, um, I watched the, uh, Tina Turner documentary on HBO. Oh, yeah. And, uh, that is also quite terrific. Um, again, an, an artist that I always respected, but you know, I never really listened to a lot of Tina Turner music. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's a heck of a documentary. Really, really interesting. She isn't, she's one of those weird people who doesn't actually really write any music, so it's kind of tough to... Mm -hmm. She's a singer. Yep, she, and, and yeah, and she absolutely is a singer. Uh, and, and Oh, she's a world-class yeah. singer yeah, from was, yeah. multiple eras of, of pop music, you know what I mean? And it has a yeah. pretty compelling biography. Yeah. Um, sure. I feel like that story has been told several times before. You, this is this is more than just a talking head kind of thing. You, yeah. You, you get a lot out of it. Yeah, I did. I, I certainly did. Now, uh, I mean, I don't I mean, I've known cursorily, if that's even a word, um, you know, the, the Tina Turner story, the Tina and Ike story. And obviously, certainly what's love got to do with it. The uh, the great biopic with Angela Bassett. Great. Um, I, you know, I'd seen that, but um you know, yeah, it was just really interesting. It sort of, you know, also kind of uh, what her life is, you know, what her life was like sort of after she, you know, after after her sort of resurgent start. Yeah, it's not even re really resurgent stardom because... It's pretty was kind of, resurgence. It was pretty pretty big musical comeback story, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, in the, you know, because she was, it was Ike and Tina and then when she decided to go, uh, you know, on her own, which is the really, which was really fascinating to, uh, to hear how, you know, hear sort of the in-between years of when she left Ike and was really trying to just 
just make it and and somehow yeah just keep find someone with faith enough in you just to pay for this or that tour yep. or this album yep. or whatever yep and then um and she essentially had a cabaret in vegas which uh, i i didn't know about yeah so it was just really good it really you know she I, went I, through I, all that old has been stuff at a young age <laughs> i i will say i was disappointed that they never played the clip where she's like where she goes it's time for Thunderdome. I, I love when she's just like, it is time for Thunderdome. And, and, um, they played you know, other clips, clips though. They cl- played other clips of uh, Beyond Thunderdome. But that's your favorite. Um, and it didn't yeah, the way she says Thunderdome always uh, brought me joy. Um, she's great in that right. movie. Uh, all right, speaking of mothers. Um, yeah, so we're going to, um, so now we want to pay a little tribute to, to moms. Um, and uh, it is a segment that, uh, you know, Ryan and I were talking about it and, and we think that we can call this like the, uh, the what would you do MILF edition because we, we thought of like uh, mothers I love on film. And, and so MILF, uh, so that's a term we came up with. Uh, and so we are going to call this. Yeah, we're looking to get a patent on that, but we'll yeah, see. We're, I think, and, and, potentially i think we have a uh, a shot like this could be the first movie show with joel and ryan merch idea. official acronym related merch merch yeah we'll see so um yeah but first uh so yeah so this is gonna be a little what do you do what should i do Come on. Come on. what do you do what do you do Come on. i don't know Come on. what do you do Come on. what do you do what should i do I don't know. What do you do? What do you do? I don't know. What do you do? I don't know. What do you do? What do you do? Seriously, what should I do? I don't know. Maybe this one? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we have, uh, what do you do? I, I, I lost, um, Ryan knows this, I lost... Uh, um, one of my external hard drives died on me, which had a lot of my assets from uh, from the movie show. So I don't know what this is going to look like when I edit this one. I'm going to have to do a whole new edit on this. So, uh, uh, we'll see if I can find that du- this dude again. Um, I really liked him. He was the be best. Able- I should be able to find him. Um, all right. So first one. What do you do? Okay. You, uh, let's see. I'm going to do this one. Your home is being invaded, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Your home is being invaded by an unseen, unknown enemy. Oh, did I mention you're a child? You're a child in this one. Okay. Um, and uh, your home is being invaded by an unseen, unknown enemy. Which mom is going to keep you alive? Ellen Ripley? Sarah Connor? Elastigirl Helen Parr? Molly Weasley? Or Beatrix Kiddo? Uh, Ellen Ripley. Yeah. That's a good group of, of fighting moms, but... Yeah, I thought that was... Uh, yeah, so we have... yeah, fighting Although moms, all of those like... moms have had their problems keeping their kids safe, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> they don't, they don't have stellar track records, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, there's been... Uh, yeah, that, well, that's why. That, that's why it's it's real, is they, they are... They are. They do have their flaws, their setbacks, but um, yeah, I sort of feel like. I mean, I kind of the two sort of relatively. I, like I sort of feel 
in terms of this scenario of like keeping keeping people alive um you know you it's you're, it's hard to beat ellen ripley and sarah connor yeah pretty good although again it. sarah connor well if you want to go sarah connor you know sarah, and, i mean sarah connor's got a trail of bodies left behind her that she didn't exactly help very much. Indeed, several of which she sort of sent to their deaths. But she kept her kid alive. Um, yeah. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty I sort much. of. You know, Ellen did it by fighting monsters, which is a little easy, a little more palatable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like Sarah Connor. You guys should check out at, after the fact if you didn't watch it. You should, and you you're in for old school stuff. The Sarah Chronicles TV show was really, really yeah. good. Yeah, it was. People don't really, people didn't really watch it then, and I don't know if they really appreciate it now. But it's only two seasons, but it's that was a good show. Yeah, that one was. Yeah, that one was fun. With Lena Headey from uh, Game of Thrones as Sarah yeah. Connor. Yeah, and uh, um, oh my gosh, what was her face? That was the. Uh... Oh, don't ruin that. That's a spoiler alert. Yeah, but um, who from from. Firefly, uh, right? Summer Glow. Summer Glow. Just couldn't remember her name. Um, all right. So, um, okay. She uh, wouldn't uh, make uh, a very uh, good interview subject for our show. <laughs> when she was doing that show at the time, there's this dude from some nerd show, you know, doing interviews, and she's making the rounds trying to get people to watch it or whatever, you know, that sort of press junket type deal, and and he's. He had this big, long question, I remember, and he goes, and but it ended with, do you ever worry that, that uh, uh, you know, um, that you'll not want to play, like, emotionally distant or whatever, you know, <laughs> women in TV Maybe. shows? And she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of what I did to poor Joel just moments ago. But you just, yeah. that's not a nice thing to do when you're doing an interview to just give a one-word answer yeah. and make them load up their next mega question. But this <laughs> dude, he had all the answers, man. He didn't. It was really funny. He did not care what she thought, and so she just put it out there in this straight-up terms. Yeah. I wish I could remember the exact lame-ass question, but he was basically saying, "Yeah, you play the same sort of weird character all the time. Wouldn't you know? Don't you want to play normal people?" Basically, was his question. And yeah, no, no. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. Next up, you have the chance. You are. You have. Uh. You have spectacular powers to bring people back from the dead, Ryan. Mm. And uh, you have the chance to bring back one mom. For a character for a day for a day so i'm like the robots at the end of ai or something oh yeah, yeah just I mean, for a day well or or it can be you know you just you for a day and then you both die forever just like no, the no that's not what i'm saying here. i love that ending joel as you know but people don't typically like it very much out there in mm -hmm. the world so you this is I'm just saying you could set whatever. I just when I was typing this out, I went for a day. It could you can set whatever parameters you want. Right. It could be you bringing you're bringing them that. Back, I'm a magic uh, man. I can do whatever. You're I a want. magic man. You can do it. All right. So do you bring back Coral from Finding Nemo? Uh, do you bring back Maggie, Jonah's mom from Sleepless in Seattle? Ugh. Do you bring back Cinderella's mom, <laughs> or do you bring back? But Bambi's mom. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh pfft. 
Well, not Cinderella's mom. Even though I really could save her some hardships, stuff works out fine for her. So we're, we'll just leave that. We won't. We won't. Sure. Uh, Tempt the monkey's paw on that one. Yep. Probably um, could say the same thing for Maggie from Sleepless in Seattle. Kind of. That one's uh, a little tougher. Yeah. Because that's a little more. That's the only one, in fact, on this list that you can kind of be like, oh, I, I, like, I recognize that from life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, she things is, do. She is only. She is also actually the only human character that I uh, that I put in this list. <laughs> Right, that's what I'm saying. Like mm-hmm. that, that one. That's why you got a noticeable re- oral response out of me on that one because that's ugh. yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, Bambi's mom, ugh, man. Yeah, you know, Bambi's mom's like it's the ultimate movie sacrifice. I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not going to be sarcastic about Bambi's mom. Bambi's mom really is the the best cinematic mom of all time, pretty much. In she terms just, of that, yeah, mom. She just laid it on, laid it all on the line, you know, mm-hmm. and did it in that mom way where it's like it's everything's going to be okay, you know. It, it, you know, it's hard yeah. to explain, but like that, that's not. I'm not misleading you, even though I'm not coming right out and telling you what's going to happen. I'm putting my faith in you to survive and to do okay without me. And I'm going to do the one last thing that I can for you. It's just, it's, I mean, it, that's really, really, really powerful no matter how you break it down and to bring her back would feel like a slap in the face of that sacrifice. So what's the other one? The fish? I guess it's that one. (laughs) Yeah. Coral from finding Nemo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she somehow uh, you you bring her back from uh, that wouldn't affect. I don't know about how it affects the Nemo universe, but that wouldn't affect my life in one bit. So (laughs) that's the one I'm going to choose. All right, yeah, it it keeps the Ryan verse uh, pretty much (laughs) intact, completely intact. That's right. (laughs) All right, choose. Oh wait, hold on. What do you do? (laughs) Going to need you to choose a mother. No, of course. Do you choose mother? Albert Brooks is from Albert Brooks's film. Do you choose mother? Darren Aronofsky's mother. Or do you choose mother? Bong Joe Ho's, uh, June Ho's, Bong Joon Ho's mother. <laughs> so choose your mother. Darren Aronofsky's mother is what I'm going to choose. Um, it's almost a spoiler alert to explain what that is. Yeah. One of the most absolutely hated films of the last <laughs> let's say 40 years yeah <laughs> you know um and it's just completely brutal and unpleasant experience but as far as movies that aren't what they are films that are really allegories the mother in that story uh you feel for um and I and it, it and even though it's brutal and nasty and it is and you shouldn't see it if you have a weak stomach or whatever, it's uh it is a little bit of looking in the mirror to it if you mm-hmm. really care enough to decode what it actually is, it's it's quite an indictment of all of us and I I I gave it high marks for that. It's an endurance test of a film, yeah. but that's that's the mother that we need to do right by, and we all need to do better by, 
every day and so that's the one that i'll take out of that particular group the other two yeah the albert other two. Brooks, yeah albert brooks's mother with uh uh um oh my gosh um debbie with De- debbie reynolds yeah um super fun yeah, yeah super fun albert brooks film you know it's but uh, you know me yeah. i'm not up to that i would be i would instantly be exhausted and defeated by it um <laughs> i would that's just the mm-hmm. honest truth and uh and what was the the oh, june hose yeah, yeah. No thanks. Yeah, that one. Um, yeah, that one. I I I watched after watching Parasite. So I'm like, oh, because I'd seen Snowpiercer, and then when I haven't watched uh, Parasite, I'm like, oh, I want another. I'm gonna see another one of his films. And I watched this one. Yeah, and that was uh, without being a total dick, because I was, but I I was trying to explain Mother to somebody who really really hated it, and it mm. they didn't hate it because they didn't get it. Aronofsky's they, mother. Although they or... didn't get it, Aronofsky's. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't get it, but they didn't hate. They hated it because they just hated it, and it's it's contemptible uh, under under even the best of circumstances in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. I just I felt like you're not. I felt like I didn't know what to do. Like I no, nothing's worse than somebody going, "Well, oh no, you didn't hate it because here's why." So yeah. I just was like, I'm trying to explain what mother was basically, and I'm like, "Well, what's something else that's not a person that we call mother?" You know, it was my question to her. And you kind of was mm-hmm. like, and I was like, well, think of it from that perspective. Well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. Um, all right, I don't so, know who uh, let that guy make that movie. In the end, yeah, I, yeah. I admire things that are that really, really go for it and it, really it, take chances and really, you yeah, know. And and you if if you can you cannot deny that about Aronofsky's right. mother. And so I, I just so I really do I hold it in some, some esteem, even though I mm-hmm. uh, I've watched it twice. I watched it once, and then I watched it with my movie buddy, who I felt like could handle it, and she could she did. She liked it better than me, in fact. And I got it over on the shelf, and I don't think I ever want to watch that movie again. That's a tough film. <laughs> yeah. Tough, tough. Um, all right, the last one. Um, what should I do? Oh, no, I hit the wrong, hit the wrong sounder. What do you do? Um, this one is, I kind of ran, I'll admit, I ran out of time. I couldn't really think of a good way to shape this one because uh, in our messages back and forth, we started just bringing up kind of awesome, very real uh mm. these real mom well i just the moms that popped into my head it, yeah you know i thought yeah. maybe that'd be helpful that are really great these are strong very uh strong women very uh lived in to use that to use that phrase that you that you brought up before i mean this these are women yeah who vi- vivid characters they that are, are also yeah, they're, they're yeah. also mothers um so so there's no this isn't really but we're just gonna uh bring up some awesome moms because it's mom mother's day and there are some awesome moms in in films out there for uh first one um elizabeth pena in lone star Um, yeah and she's not she's not the mom of that movie the mom is her mom actually so so it so it it but lone star we've talked about on the show before is this brilliant multi-generational thing it's this Mm -hmm. wonderful uh kaleidoscope of a movie i i love it Uh, as much as i love any movie that's ever been made um elizabeth pena's character she does have two teenage kids though and she's got these couple of great moments with them she's a school teacher too so she's really mom 
she's school mom and home mm -hmm. mom and what did she say she's talking to her friend about how she's just not connecting with her with her son who she's worried right. is going to start getting in trouble but when she talks about her daughter she says well she's she pities me and she tolerates yeah, me yeah, she you know keeps like me at a distance that, but that's <laughs> But that's but that, it, but, you know, but and you see, uh, and then, and then, phrased it, yeah. yeah, so to have that great thing where she says it, and then you see the evidence of it, like, it's not a big thing in the movie, it's just for a few moments here and there, mm -hmm. and there's this other great moment where, um, where they're talking about uh, some, whoever's uh, going out with who or whatever, and her daughter says, you know, you, you're, you're, you know, 17 or whatever, you don't know anything about love or whatever and elizabeth has this moment where she doesn't she doesn't uh, br bring the hammer down on that idea but she stops it in its tracks and kind of says no that that's not true it, you you can you can feel love you know no, no matter when and her daughter has this moment mm -hmm. where it's like like i'm hearing something that's truthful and that yeah it this really neat connection between two people that are that have their rhythms set up and that are very comfortable in them. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot that's learned too about her, her older mother, the woman who runs, uh, the, the, the yeah, the rest, the big restaurant yeah. in town. Uh, it's, it's a really, really good movie about parents, like about a, lovers, yeah. about, about legacies between generations, you know, and Elizabeth, I, I, uh, I, she's not with us anymore. And that's my, that's the best role that Hollywood ever let her play. She's fantastic in that part. And I just mm -hmm. wanted to give a shout out to her. Cause, mm -hmm. um, I'm going to throw out one that, uh, the, a mother that, that I really like, um, uh, Kathleen Quinlan's character in Apollo 13. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, June, June level. Um, yeah. How, yeah, just the, the, again, another, another character who, has a you know she there's like there's a great uh in tom hanks's uh from the earth to the moon miniseries there's a there's a great episode that's all about the astronauts wives um and yeah we've and, talked about that sally field yeah, directed it yeah sally field and and just the loneliness and the you know they're almost it's like the you know they're almost uh single parents uh, except when they're, you know, except when their husbands uh, have the opportunity to come back and, and, and be, you know, but these guys were so busy all the time that. Uh, well, and it's know, just, the, that's just the sixties all over. It's really, yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to be astronauts. You, there's certain um, expectations. If you're a woman with a family that, that you're going to do this and that and everything else, and it's yeah. all just going to be taken care of day in and day mm -hmm. out. And, and yeah, and she, yeah, she has this great, yeah, again, talking about the, the mother daughter relationship, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the teenage daughter who's, you know, right. figuring out who she is and asserting herself, uh, while, you know, the, the, the scene where, uh, they're supposed to go watch their dad on, um, yeah, on, on uh, live TV, TV on and, live TV, and, she, and it turns she out they're the only to, ones who even watched it. Well, yeah, and the daughter doesn't want to go because the Beatles are break. You know, the, it was announced the Beatles are breaking up, and right. um, uh, and it's like you were, you know, you were gonna she's, go. And, I can't remember uh, which Beatles she blames it on, but she specifically Paul. has a grudge. She hates with, Paul. Right, yeah, she hates Paul. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and then you know, and then she so, and she's so she's got you know this teenage daughter, but then she also has 
has this uh, this little, you know, this young son too, who and she's navigating all of that while, you know, trying to, you know, trying to keep it all together while her husband is uh, floating in space and maybe will never come home. It's, without yeah, I, I love without her. plowing past Quinlan's character because she's great in that film mm-hmm. and she was really really good actor forever that never really got great mm-hmm. roles. She would go all the way back to American Graffiti and she's only in it for a few minutes, but she's the we all know this character. She's the bossy friend of Cindy Williams' character. And mm-hmm. it's just it she just comes to life in a miraculous way on screen in that film from a very young age and has always been really really good and everything. But my favorite mom in that movie is actually Lovell's mom when they go to visit her and oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And and this so and this is a shout out to Quinlan as mm-hmm. an actor too cuz she's holding down this scene more or less. But they they go to tell his mom, you know, what what's going on and there's this fantastic moment where she's figuring it out and I, Howard just is brilliant. That I know he won an Oscar for whatever the other film, but the, this mm-hmm. is his best movie without question. Everything he's good at rolled up into one enchilada of a movie. It's like it's all in Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. But this perfect moment where the the, the He's got these three kids where the youngest daughter is, you know, hearing them explain what's happening. And she briefly, she's holding it together, but she briefly looks up to Kathleen and she looks back at her and then her face just goes weak and she starts to cry. She can't help it. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. I don't know anything about the little girl in that movie. Like, I, so I don't know where that came from, but it's, I, the, it's the combination of stuff, the information that's being given out in the scene, the way that she's all good until she looks another character who's stressed out about this in the face. And that's what makes her lose it. It's, it's brilliant. And, and grandma's closing line in that scene, I can't remember the appliance that she says, but uh, a, a washing machine, a washing machine. If, if they could make, if they could make a washing machine fly, my Jimmy could Jimmy land. Could land it. And it. she just, she's like, it's all going to work out. It's the first time mm-hmm. in the mo- movie where you're like, it's all good. Like we're all yeah. going to be fine. Grandma's like, this is whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, is a, which is totally different scene. in tone to what's going on in the scene. Like that scene is, it it's not the film, you know it's not the scene the movie's famous for or anything, but it adds that scene it from start to finish scene. is perfection. Yeah, it's really really good, and, and it does wonderfully. It does also wonderfully set up the scene later where they're like, uh, you know, it's like uh, I don't remember what her name is. Yeah, this is uh, these are um, these are a couple friends, Neil. This is Neil, our friend Neil Armstrong, and uh, and and uh, and Buzz, Buzz Aldrin, and she's like, "Oh, are you boys in the space program too?" <laughs> Such a wonderfully <laughs> undercut, you know, just yeah. a great moment of levity in this, you know, yeah. as as the uh, as things are really yeah. ramping up intensely. Yeah, grandma, um, right. grandma for the win, definitely. Yeah, grandma for the win. <laughs> um, all right, uh, another mom that we love, Joan Allen in Searching for Bobby Fisher. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, one of my favorite. Yeah, boy. One of my favorite movies, one of my favorite moms. I yeah, love, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love... Um, you know, uh, Joe Montaigne's character in that, It's he's he's playing the, the sports writer, the author of the book, which is a book about a real kid and a real everything. Um, it's a fantastic film from start to finish. Really, really good. It's very... It has a very sort of young Spielbergian magic to it, but... Uh, 
Stevens Alien, who's one of Hollywood's finest writers, it was his directorial debut, and it's mm-hmm. really, really strong movie from a human perspective and just from a flat-out entertainment perspective. It sort of mixes mm-hmm. the peril, the real peril that this kid is in because he's special at something and what that means for a person. That's a hard thing to write about. The film does a really, really good job of that, and it also just is repeatedly scene after scene after scene of fully realized performances and really well-written stuff with little perfect codas on them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Joan Allen, who just is one of the movie's greatest assets, if you can ever get her in your film, <laughs> she's just so good Agreed. at everything. Yeah. I just think she's really, really amazing. Maybe she's not super good in Death Race, but... Sometimes you gotta do. Sometimes you gotta just. She had probably she she had bills to pay. Yeah, and I think she liked playing a bad guy too, which they don't think they ask her to do very often. That's true. Um, nevertheless, she's it's bad and she's not great in it. So what can you? So I'm just saying nobody's perfect, but yeah. she's so good in this film. She her the way she navigates her family and keeps things. It's hard to explain, but keeps things on track. Uh, the father character in the show is much more sort of obsessed with his son's success than I think the guy was in real life. I think it was one of the objections that the author had to the thing in the first place. Like he sort of understands that movies work because there's tension and because there's conflict and you got to have that. But they were, they were more of a team in real life than they are in the movie. But in the movie, Joe's got to play this guy in a way that we believe him and still care about him. And she, she can't be, because she's sidelined in the story to some degree and she can't be the harpy wife. And it's, it's it's partly it's written really well, but the other part of it is that Joan just brings this, it's hard to explain, but this very simple, like elegance to the role. It's hard to explain. You, you have to see it yeah. to kind of get it, but she's, she's, she doesn't put her foot down. It's the same as Elizabeth in Lone Star. It's not a, there's no moment where that's the, uh, it's all just, yeah. it's all just, if you get her talking, eventually you're going to get to this place where she's, she tells you how it is. And I love that. I love yeah, that about her. She, yeah. I mean, she clearly, it, you know, she's the character that is putting the uh, interests of the child and, and him remaining a child, cognizant of his talents but trying to remind everybody that this is a child and, and that, uh, that Josh should be allowed to be a kid. And, and that could easily go into that's, that. That's the lesson of the movie. So she can't, she can't yeah. do that throughout the film and be like the only wise character in the movie who gets it. And but... she can't also do it in a, in a, and she also can't do it in a, in a, uh, you all are ruining this kid. You know, it could easily right. turn into a shrew and a harpy. And, and, right, right, uh, right. and like, like you said, it could easily, you know, where she turned and, and where, and then, uh, in, yeah, in lesser hands, that's what it would turn into. And then the husband would go, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. Maybe we but it's funny how politely no, she states her case mm-hmm. when she needs to and how yeah. everybody in the room still knows mom, mom has spoken and it's just mm-hmm. it's not, yeah. The, it's just not going to change. He's going to play in the park if he wants. He's going to do this. If you, I mean, you yeah. just, you're yeah, just, it, you're yeah, stuck. The, yeah, he, this is what is going to happen. There's and... that great moment. It's my fa- one of my favorite moments, at least my favorite heightened dramatic moment. Most of my favorite moments are the quiet ones with the kids, but mm-hmm. there's that great moment where she says, you know, how many, how many 
baseball players are worried about losing their father's love, and he says, all of them! Mm-hmm. That's true. You yep. know? It, it's true. That family dynamic is is interesting because he is yeah. a special kid and she doesn't stand in the way of that per se either so mm-hmm. it's a finely tuned balance but she's one of my favorite movie moms no doubt uh another one of my favorite movie moms <clears throat> uh I, I angela bassett I brought, I brought her up earlier when talking about tina turner um which is actually what made me think of this uh angela bassett's character in Aquila and the bee oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, love yeah i love her because she's sort of you know she's the the you know she's the antagonist for a a, a good chunk of the film, but right. she always is you know it, 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 she's the antagonist because she's trying to protect her child, you know trying to protect Aquila and then um and then ultimately obviously becomes like her greatest advocate and you know strongest force. I I love her. I love her in that film. Yeah, I love that film. I it's yeah it's that's a, a good one. I, I hated the name of it, so I stayed away from it for a long time. Why? Uh, What's I don't wrong know. with the name? It's a good name. I don't name. know. I, just, I thought it was just, I, I, I don't know why. And just, I'm like, that sounds boring as hell. No, uh, that's a cool name. I, I, well, now I think it is. Uh, it, for mo- some names reason, I, I hate are like, as good as it gets, or, <laughs> you know, it's just stuff that's yeah. like, what? This could be about any, this movie could be about anything. Right. There's a whole list of them I could make where oh. I'm like, I hate names like that. Why don't you just, why don't you just call it this movie is nice? I'd see that movie. <laughs> Cuz I would see it cuz I would know it's going to be nice. <laughs> right. So, right, know, okay, I I know, guess I stand corrected. There you go. There you go. Akeel and the Bee like that can only no, be I, what it is. That's I, I love titles. I get like that. that. I get that. I have no idea. There's no rational explanation why I'm like uh, I have I have no interest in seeing this. And then I'm like, okay, it was on, and I'm like, okay. Well, it did. It, it it was sold at the time, and these things are sold as little feel good triumphs of the human spirit, and and yeah. it, it, it's a cloying. It, the way the marketing folks sell that stuff is cloying, and it makes you go, eh, whatever. That's cliched and dumb, and I'm I'm not going to be manipulated by your <laughs> feel good story. You know, it's so by I get your, that. I get that response. Feel goodery. I will not fall under the the trappings of no. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I said good day. Um, yeah, no, but uh, but no. I obviously the movie. I love the movie. See Aquila and the Bee. If you haven't seen Aquila and the Bee, see Aquila Check it. Check it out. It gets uh, the right, movie the show last... with Joel and Ryan stamp of approval. Um. Oh, stamp of approval. Stamp of approval graphic is coming, folks. There's going to be a stamp of approval graphic. Um, All right. Final mom mom, uh, uh, that that you brought up uh, that we're going to bring up for this list. Uh, Amy Madigan in Field of Dreams. Oh, yeah. Well, she's a lot like like Joan Allen in the Searching for Bobby Fischer, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, she's a totally different character with a totally different personality, but her... The way she works her mom wiles and what she's willing to sort of put up with for the family to follow their, her dreams and what and her sort of pragmatism that has to kick in at a certain point for them to survive. It's like yeah. that that balance, you know. I believe in you, but but somebody somebody has to be the person who's not hearing voices in this family. You know, that's mm-hmm. important. Uh, and of course, her that scene stealing uh censorship little town meeting that they have at the high school where she just loses it yeah 
I love yeah. Amy Madigan. I love her. I just I love her in everything, and and that I, I don't know if that's her finest role. It's hard to say, but it's really really good one. And and the that the film is clever enough to give her a, a showcase like that, so that you see you see that where these people's passions are, it's important that you see that. And that's where he's got to ride to the rescue and drag her out of that room. So she doesn't kick that other woman's ass. Yeah. That's really, really fun. Like that. It's a cool partnership, you know, and that that's, that's why I love it. And, and again, it just, because she just, she just makes, it's just an actor who makes the most of every second of screen time without being obnoxious over, cooked you know scene stealing crap she -hmm. just is really really strong she gets that and that to me that's the magic of storytelling from an actor's standpoint so yeah so it's Um, like i kind of love amy madigan more than mom and field of dreams but (laughs) but that's you know she doesn't play a lot of traditional moms either that's another actor who we talked about timothy hutton she's always looking for to do something different to play something different and hops on those opportunities so she could have been mom for all the whole eighties and nineties, but she kind of wasn't cause she's, right. you know, didn't want to, didn't want to get pegged at that. But this, mm-hmm. this part I'm sure was too, too cool, even on paper to turn down and she yeah. nails it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, obviously there are many other amazing women, uh, amazing moms. Um, yeah, these were, I- this was really a brain quick, brainstorm off the top of our heads we missed a jillion of them it wasn't a countdown yeah but oh yeah we are not going to rank moms no not not in this no <laughs> not, not not in this episode no it was but, hard um, enough obviously... just to choose those cartoon moms to bring back to life that was a tough sure. one sure um but obviously if you have moms out there from favorites that you'd like us movies, to talk yeah. about or ones that maybe we haven't seen that we could get, get to experience boy we'd love that please reach out mm-hmm. to us yeah, I mean, obviously there are other great ass kicking moms. Um, there are also plenty of those, you know, and other just, uh, yeah. I'm always, uh, you know, moments where, where again, maybe it's uh, asking the larger question of uh, fully realized female characters uh, being rare. But uh, you know, we love. I love seeing those movies where you know, yeah, where a woman, where a mom is just is a fully realized uh flawed uh, has flaws but also has successes you know this this idea that you know being a mom isn't magic but it's also not a death sentence or a, you know or a purgatory or whatever best mom on tv that i can think of in recent memory and we didn't bring her up because she's a terrible mom was was alice and janey and the the uh you know the ice skating movie um uh, i Tanya. <laughs> yeah that was amazing (laughs) so um but yeah so i mean yeah that was she's a she's a super bad mom without being an evil mom you know what i mean like she's just a really believable person in the world like uh, amy poehler's mom in mean girls where it's just literally she was so and so intent on being the cool mom that you know it's just um that you know yeah let's everything slide so, uh, but yeah, I mean, if there, if there are other moms that you, uh, dear listener feel like you, um, want to make sure that get out there in the world and that, that if, yeah, obviously if we haven't seen them, if you think maybe that one missed us, uh, yeah, please absolutely uh, send them our way. Um, 
yeah, because you know, moms we like on film, moms we love on film. Um, that's uh, you know, that's uh, I guess that would be Wilf, Wilf with a W. Wilf. Yeah. Well, we might as well put that doesn't work as good on a t-shirt. I don't think. Yeah. Anyway. um, But yeah, so that's gonna, but that will do it for, uh, for this week's episode of the movie show with Joel and Ryan, obviously reach out to us on, uh, on Facebook, the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook at ask Joel and Ryan on Twitter and Instagram and the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on YouTube. Ask Joel and Ryan at gmail.com. Those are the spots. Those are the spots. All right. Thanks to our moms and all the moms out there making today special. We appreciate it. And we appreciate you, our listeners. Indeed we do. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>